Hey, everybody, real quick, before we start today's episode, I want to tell you about another awesome podcast and probably a unique podcast. You don't probably have nothing like it in your feed. Maybe you do. Maybe I'm wrong. This is a podcast called Burning Daylight. It's hosted by a friend of the show, Matt McKinley. It's about liberty. It's about cowboy shit. It's about inappropriate jokes, which I could say the kind of joke, but today's episode of Finding Freedom, you know, I want to keep the explicit label off of it. So I, I, I'll let you, let you imagine what kind of jokes I'm talking about, but it's, it's entertainment and it's a podcast for the working cowboy and for those who want to know more about what it's like to be a cowboy. And quite honestly, who in their right mind does not want to know more about what it's like to be a cowboy? I know I do. Check this podcast out, Burning Daylight. You will not regret it. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. All right, my guest today on Finding Freedom is Ross Benish. He's an author, a journalist, and a research analyst. He wrote a book recently here that just, just came out recently, I should say. He probably wrote it. Uh, over the past year or so, but it's called Rural Rebellion, How Nebraska Became a Republican Stronghold. And just to point out, I think the things from this book, and I think Ross would agree, apply to a lot more than Nebraska and really apply uh, to the way that culture is changing politics in this country probably forever. So Ross, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thanks for having me on, John. And I would definitely agree that this applies to an area much larger than my home state of Nebraska. Absolutely. Um, I do like, though, how kind of zeroing in and taking really your, your own life lessons, or not life lessons, your own life, really, it's really like a sort of like a, a memoir within a, within a book that you kind of wove this into, really un- unique perspective, but I think a lot of people throughout the country will find uh, commonalities uh, listening to this. And before we get into talking about you know some of the things that were uh, you know talked about in your book, if you could just give a just a brief introduction, tell people who you are, maybe you know how you got into writing and how you found yourself in 2021 coming out with a political book. Sure thing. Well, so I'm Ross Benish. I'm, I'm from Brainerd, Nebraska. It's a town of 300 people, and I lived there for 19 years and, uh, you know, just went to the same schoolhouse. That was a few blocks from my parents' place. And from there, I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to go to college at the state's largest university. And I um, played music in a really shitty band, and I made movies with my friends, and I just did all sorts of stuff. And I I didn't really see myself becoming um, a writer for uh, most of college, but I decided to um, start writing a book towards the end of college uh, as a way to try to do something creative. And I noticed everything that I was writing about was about sex. So I just decided to turn that into a sex book. And then I finally got a literary agent and um, I chased some jobs to entice publishers to publish the book. So I went to Detroit and then I uh, went to New York City to work for Esquire magazine. And then that finally that first book came out and... um, then I wrote another sex book and I 
worked for a few more places and wrote for a few more places. And I stayed living in New York City. And I thought I would do another fun book. Um, this one was going to be on low culture. And then Donald Trump got elected. And I saw people out here freak out about it. And that led me to pivot and write something about my childhood and my state's politics changing because I believe that states like Nebraska, um, you know, led to the rise of Trump. A lot of times people try to turn the direction the other way around and say, our politics are this way because of him. I, I would say, no, we were headed that way. He just rode the current very perceptively. And um, that's how I ended up with the uh, politics book in 2021. Not something I ever dreamed about doing when I was living in that town of 300 people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about your writing career, I checked out your website. I think it's uh, rossbenish.com, right? So that's Ross, Ross spelled R-O-S-S, and then uh, Benish is B-E-N-E-S. And I mean, you've written a lot at, at a lot of a lot of different places, some high profile places. So yeah, I think about 45 publications at this point or something like that. Yeah, And you also do what? Uh, you do some uh, uh, research writing? Yep. To pay the bills, uh, I'm a market analyst, and I um, write really long reports about video advertising for uh, subscription audience and marketers. So I've done B2B and um, niche stuff, and I've written for popular places like you know Wall Street Journal or, or Entertainment Weekly. I've um, I'll write for anyone who pays me, basically. Me too. Within reason. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you've, you've, you've had an interesting start to your uh, book writing career, starting out in sex, then politics. So I'm interested to see where it goes to next. You know, I, I tell people that Nebraska politics isn't as different from sex as you would think. Uh, that's maybe a different podcast. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's a different <laughs> podcast. But so let's, let's start talking about the book. And, you know, as you said, it really it takes you through growing up in your in your hometown. So, you know, I'm curious to get your take on did you notice this shift in the politics in Nebraska as you were growing up? Is it something that you realized in hindsight, looking back? It's more of a hindsight thing because when I was in Brainerd, my hometown, that was just what normal was. Like I, I didn't realize living in a rural area like that and everyone being pretty far right and, and, and everyone being white and everyone being Christian as well. Um, in our town, um, almost all of us were Czechoslovakian heritage. Um, that was unusual. And, you know, I, I'd been to like Omaha and Lincoln and Kansas City, but I hadn't ever really been outside the Midwest much. So my sense was just like, well, this is kind of what America's like. You know, it, I didn't really realize how kind of atypical we were until I left and how much our state was changing. And I was also very involved with the church. So, um, you know, when culture wars were simmering, and politics is being preached at the pulpit a lot. I, I just kind of took that as like for granted, like that's just what, how church is without realizing like historically, you know, we're, we're, we're in a weird moment. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, during that whole time, um, as I moved away, um, Nebraska just continued to, um, you know, go further to the right and um, no longer elect moderates at all. Nebraska really... It's not different than not too much different, I don't think, than where I am in Pennsylvania, and or a state like Georgia, even. And I think a, a lot of the uh, sort of uh, cultural aspects and shift from, you know, more of a uh, you know Democrat establishment 
type voter to more of a you know Republican voter uh, is, is something that, that that I've seen even in, like it, within my own family. Like my father grew up registered Democrat and then just slowly over time just started. I didn't. I think he's still registered Democrat, but he just started voting Republican, and now he's he's pretty staunch Republican. But that that's just kind of happened over time, and I, I agree with you. I think it does have to do. You know, there is a uh, a religion aspect to it, and you talk about that quite a bit in the book. You grew up Catholic, and I was wondering if we could start out kind of by talking about when people think of Nebraska, when they think of you know flyover country. I hate that term, uh-huh. but that's what people call it. There are certain stereotypes when they think of the voters there, the people who uh, who live there. So, as someone who grew up in Nebraska, what are some of you know the stereotypes that you know, what are some of the uh, stereotypes that are defied, the red state stereotypes that are defied not by Nebraskans? Well, um, you know, just because they're conservative doesn't mean that they adhere to everything that the modern Republican Party um, pushes for. And I, I think if you haven't been there, you, you would just automatically assume that, well, uh, N- Nebraskans just want to, um, you know, follow the Republican Party and gut social services or something like that. But Nebraska expanded Medicaid and raised minimum wage and capped payday loan interest rates all through ballot measures. I mean, that, that, that's some stereotypes that they've defied. Uh, other thing would be um, we're a state that's entirely public power. So all of our utilities are publicly owned. We're the only state in the country where that is true. And, um, you know, we're, we're not a state that embraces socialism whatsoever, but that's kind of a, a could be considered a socialist um, program. I mean, that's how it was framed in the 30s when, when these ha- things happened. The, the companies that attacked uh, Nebraska politicians for, for trying to move us to public power, they said it was too socialist. So um, that defies a stereotype. And then also a lot of environmental activism. Uh, we're the state that founded Arbor Day. And then there was a lot of protesters in Nebraska that um, were protesting the, the Keystone the Keystone XL pipeline. So <clears throat> I, I would say the public power, the environmental activism, and then um, some of the issues you've seen through ballot measures where Nebraskans will support for measures that support working class people uh, if they can do it on a nonpartisan basis, because they're not going to vote for Democrats. If a Democrat pushes that, good luck. But if it's put in a ballot, they, they may vote for it. So on the, uh, I might be wrong <laughs> here, but um, on the presidential level, you look at you know the past several decades of presidential elec- elections. I'm pretty sure Nebraska's gone red since the '60s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure for um, a very long time. But on the the local level, it's been very different, and that's where you've seen this shift, right? Yeah. So when I was born, um, you know, in the '90s, like. We had a Democratic senator, we had a Democratic governor and two U.S. Democratic senators and a Democratic House rep. So of, of our most uh, prominent politicians in Congress and the governor's office, half of them or more were Democrats. And our state legislature um, had more Democrats as well, even though it's officially nonpartisan. We're the only state in the United States as officially nonpartisan legislature. Can, can so, you explain what that exactly means? Because I Oh, don't... yeah, sure. So- uh, Nebraska has a unicameral system, one house, and it's nonpartisan. So there's no minority or majority party. And when people run, they aren't um, listed with their party affiliation. Like everyone just runs in the top two 
uh, vote getters in the primary advance on, regardless of what their re- voter registration is. So people will vote down party lines on some issues where you'll see registered Republicans or registered Democrats go another way. But there's no official apparatus within the legislature saying that, like, these are the Democrats and these are the Republicans. And just having that simple removal of party labels historically has allowed people to build coalitions on like particular topics rather than just like everything adhering to a party that's changed a little bit, but, but but when you vote on a, on a local ticket, um, do you see the R and the D next to the candidate? No, it it just, these are the the candidates, but people know, um, who's what, I mean, Mm -hmm. if, if you've paid attention at all, you'll be getting mailers or the world Herald, they'll still refer to them like in the press or in a mailer as being like, the Democratic person or the or the um, Republican person, but yeah, it, that it, is the, interesting. The, I, I think yeah. that's good. Even just um, just a little bit of a a change that, that it makes people do a little bit of research because there's people on both sides, Republican Democrat, who yeah, they'll just go straight down. Or in Pennsylvania, with which they just recently changed this, you used to be able to just do straight ticket, just check a box at the top, not even look at anything. So I, I think that is a little bit useful, just even in that small uh, respect. And you do see some people win in districts where they wouldn't win otherwise if there's a straight party affiliation. Like some moderate Democrats have won in, in Republican areas um, because people know that person mm-hmm. and um, they want to vote for that person. And it doesn't just have the D on their name that you know becomes like a, a toxic thing for them. So what happened? You're growing up in Nebraska and obviously you're talking about it, uh, looking at it from hindsight. But you're growing up in Nebraska, and there's Democrats elected to the Senate. There's more, you know, there's more even even in Republican, um, you know, localities. Republicans are winning; it's closer. Um, whereas today, they're they're more blowout races. So, what happened? What what are some of the the key things that really created this this separation in a state like Nebraska? Well, I have the first chapter about abortion because I think that really hurt Democrats in Nebraska where the parties both have become so dogmatic about it. Like back in the day, you had Republicans who were pretty liberal who would be pro-choice uh, and you had some conservative Democrats who'd be pro-life and they could be flexible on that issue in a way that would fit their districts. And now the national parties really demand fealty on that issue. Well, in Nebraska, most people are Christians and they're you know pretty heavy church going and they take their faith Seriously, and, and that's been an issue that has really helped the Republican Party. So Democrats forcing um, all candidates to be um, pro-choice has come at a cost. The last time Nebraska had Democrats elected at a statewide level, they were all pro-life Democrats. Those, that, that's like an oxymoron now. That, that, mm-hmm. that type of candidate doesn't even exist. And it may help the Democrats in other parts of the country, but not in the Great Plains, and especially not in the rural areas. Um, and then the other thing, I, I, you know, I, I would say the churches became more involved. That that coincides with the with the um, with the abortion issue, but you know, it has an effect on other issues as well. And I'd also like to point out is just the parties became so nationalized. Mm. Yes. So when we had Democrats in the past, you mentioned <clears throat> how Nebraska didn't elect Democratic presidents, but we would vote for like a Democratic governor or a U.S. senator. And that's because that governor or U.S. senator were able to deviate from their party and create a platform that was specifically aimed at what Nebraska voters approved of. And they were able to get away with that because 
they were running like as a local person. They, they weren't having to be a national figure. Now, Demo the politics are so nationalized from press sources and social media and from the political parties themselves um, that like a Democrat in New York isn't really running on any different issues than a Democrat in Nebraska and the National Democratic Party's platform and brand isn't well received in Nebraska. You know, th those local people had a better opportunity than the national people. And, and that just... It, it, it's not there anymore. Yeah, and it's 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 really accelerating and getting worse year after year. And if you look at this last election, <clears throat> it really only came down to what Pennsylvania and within Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Georgia and within Georgia, Atlanta and uh, maybe Arizona too. But it came down to a couple a couple different states, just a few counties and yeah. a few states, and just this fighting, this fighting over this super polarized message on each side and the one side's pulling for, for the rural voter, the one side's pulling for the, uh, you know, the urban voter. And it's, it's crazy that that is like what politics has become in this country. No matter, no matter where you live, you're stuck in looking at politics through that. I mean, you don't have to look at through that filter, but that's, what's being forced down your throat. Uh, that filter. Well, yeah, it's an extreme, it's an extreme trade-off too. When, when, when candidates aren't really, allowed to moderate their stance too much and have to go with like the national platform mm -hmm. and the parties have become more different from each other since the nineties, the Democrats have went to the left and the Republicans have went to the right. And so the outcome um, is just so drastically different one way or the other. Like it, it didn't used to be the candidates that were up used to be more similar to each other. I, I guess I put it that mm -hmm. way. And um, in Nebraska, the perception Democrats get pissed off at me when I say this, but the perception among most people I know is that the party went too far to the left for them. You know, they, they were maybe going to vote for a moderate Democrat, but they, they don't support um, today's party anymore. And um, I, I think it's not good for the state, though, because single party rule allows any party to do whatever they want when there is no competition, you know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the perception I've seen uh, with the Democratic Party, with most Republican voters that I know. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I'm a libertarian, so I sit on the sidelines and kind of watch all this happen. But it, it's Pia. People are being forced, um, you know, to different sidelines. They're being. I, you talk about um, like like a football team, like cheering for a football team. Yeah. And within, and I that, like to say that uh, the Democrats are about like the Husker football team, and that they don't win anymore. Well, not in Nebraska, but they're, they're... Oh, yeah, in Nebraska. The Nebraska Democrats, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 the Democrats are doing fine uh, in other states, obviously. They have the presidency and half of the Senate. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to ask you, so you went from uh, small-town Nebraska to uh, you're in Brooklyn, New York now, right? So your interactions, I'm, I'm curious, with people in New York City, do, do you get ever get any people who kind of, you know, scoff at you, Maybe the scoff's too strong a word, but you know, maybe just you a little bit for for coming from a flyover state or or anything like that. Well, I would say most people out here are um, reasonable and um, like e easy to talk to and aren't huge assholes. But there definitely is a big subset that are, and um, yeah, I've gotten that before. Um, yeah, I mean, I've. Uh, been yeah i mean I, I my first job here um was as an intern at esquire 
And because I didn't wear like fancy clothes, you know, I was shamed into getting a makeover, you know, so um, I, I got that pretty early on. Uh, I've had people look at me, you know, weird because I'll say that I, I um, you know, went coon hunting with my nephews, which means shooting raccoons, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they turn it into this whole other issue that it's not, um, you know, I've uh, just t- there's been times where I've been talking about something I, I did in my, the past. Um, you know, whether it was, uh, something I, I did with sports or with guns or with friends, you know, out in a pasture drinking Boone's farm. And I've, yeah, I've gotten, uh, people looking at me, but you know, I, I embrace being a hick. I don't really care. Uh, if I'm not well received, I, I have enough people who like me that I'd get by fine with them. Yeah. Well, that's another, I mean, talking about hunting there and then, you know, guns as well, big part of hunting, obviously I'm a hunter myself and there, there's a big disconnect between the left and the right on guns, obviously, but also I think I just the culture around hunting and people who have never gone hunting, who've never experienced that have a hard time even understanding why anyone would want to do it. Um, I mean, but yeah, someone they asked me, why would you shoot that animal? Is it yeah. doing anything to you? And I'm like, well, you're eating meat right now. You know, like yeah. if I was being lectured by a vegan, maybe I'd take it more seriously, but. Yeah, exactly. As they chomp down on their cheeseburger. Well, you know, going right to the source and you know where it's coming from and it's not filled with all kinds of, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals and steroids and God knows what else. But hey. Well, it's also just, and I wasn't a bit, I've only gone hunting a handful of times. I mean, my my family is huge hunters, has tons of guns. I'm into it less than they are, but even have just done that a few times in my life makes me weird out here. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he probably, yeah, even just knowing people who do it <laughs> probably makes yeah. you stand out a little bit. But like knowing that I know when deer season is, you know. Yeah. So when it comes to like like guns specifically, because I remember, what was it? And this is, you know, talking about Pennsylvania here, but I, I do think Pennsylvania politics is sort of similar to Nebraska in, in a way. Um, it was a 2008 or probably 2012 when Obama said about Pennsylvania that – well, the uh, Republican voters, the conservative voters, clings, cling to their guns in religion. Was that 2012? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Uh, sometime around there. Yeah. So at, at, how has that played into Nebraska at, as a state? That is, is guns used as really a way to, to divide left and right? Or, or is it more that it doesn't matter? You're a Democrat, you're a Republican, you're going to hunt. You know, it's not something that they divide with. Um, in, in a state legislature, you, you'll see a divide with um, progressive legislatures trying to um, pass gun control laws, and, and the Republicans uh, opposed to anything that you know might be resembling a restriction. But um, in the statewide elections, I, I haven't seen it be like a focal point lately. I think Democrats just try to not bring it up because most people in the state are going to side with the um, Republican position. On, on that issue. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to 2024, 2030, 2040, God knows what's going to happen in this country, but I'm going to ask you to look into a crystal ball, <laughs> a crystal ball based on, you know, looking back through your, your recent history in Nebraska, where do you see this going? Um, ultimately, I mean, we can only get so hyper divided for, for so long until you come all the way back around and everyone's standing in the same spot. Uh, yeah, I, it doesn't seem to be going in, in, in a good direction here. Um, 
I think there's just going to continue to be greater differences between um, conservative and liberal states. I know that's putting it simply, but I, I think we're heading into an era where like um, the laws that one state wants compared to the laws that another state wants, it's almost going to be like you're going across country lines in the European Union or something. Um, and I guess we'll see how much control states are allowed to have on that because, um, you know, some federal laws set the tone and that's just that no matter what anyone mm -hmm. believes. But um, just seeing things that have happened in the Nebraska legislature where they've tried to push against the national current, I see more of that happen. And um, stuff that's allowed in Nebraska, like um, like guns, for instance, um, I, I don't think that's going to fly in New York. And you're going to just see a legislation very more significantly state by state than it does even right now. Especially when you look at with COVID, how COVID's been handled state by state very differently. And oh, yeah. I'm not that familiar with Nebraska. You probably know much better than I do, but I'm assuming Nebraska's kept things fairly open throughout this. Much more open than, than New York has. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, people have gone to like concerts and, um, you know, restaurants have been open for, for a long time. You know, here in New York, most, a lot of stuff still shut down um constant battles over schools i guess that's happened everywhere with schools but um yeah no nebraska's um a, a lot more wide open uh during this past year so you know you, you see even within state though too uh I, I i get the sense that like rural upstate new york handled this a lot differently than like you know new york city did but we we we, we went we we handled it pretty um strict because like 30,000 people died here, um, like early on, but you, you make a good point though, uh, COVID response, um, there wasn't really a national strategy It's piecemeal. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think there's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, when we look back on this, we're going to have all the data to look at and you look at, Texas, you look at Florida, I mean, the numbers are, are, are no worse than, uh, than the states that have, that have locked down more. And especially when we start to look at how these states respond you know, economically with, with businesses coming back, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll be able to see because it's, it's going to happen. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we were talking at the beginning of the show, you know, how politics have become so federalized and it's focused on a couple issues and you have these stars, obviously the, the president, well, the president's normally one. We have, we don't hear much from Biden, but AOC is a great one on the left that she kind of forms policy for the whole party, even though she's just, you know, a Congress uh, woman from this tiny, tiny district in, uh, in New York. And you have the same thing on the right. You have the, the loudmouths on the right doing the same thing, but will it really come down to, what kind of state do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a type of state that is, if something like COVID were to happen again, or if there's a pandemic, would you like to live in a state that is going to be more cautious and is going to put maybe uh, measures in place that's, that are going to at least make you feel protected? Um, or would you like to live in a state that the governor's just going to say, you know what, we're going to leave things open. We'll see what happens. So it, I mean, COVID's kind of an exit. You could apply that in many different ways, but it'll be interesting to see if things do evolve in that way, maybe because of COVID. I mean, it, it'd be interesting just to see us um, have policy discussion on, on more issues than like 
the five that suck the oxygen out of the room. And I guess I contributed to it because I write about those same exact issues in the book. It becomes like a self-fulfilling thing because they're talked about, they get covered and then they get covered because mm-hmm. they're talked about. Um, but uh, like in, in, in Nebraska, you know, a big issue would be like rural broadband. Um, uh. You know, that, that like that'd be nice for that to be like at the heart of all debates instead of like whatever's wagging the, the national politics at the moment. Um, I'm not sure how we get past that, though, with um, the way the parties are set up now and the way um, social media um, really propagates ideas. Yeah, it's funny you bring up uh, rural broadband. I helped to manage a uh, Senate campaign for a libertarian candidate back in 2018. And he's he's from the Philadelphia side of the state. I'm from Pittsburgh. And we're talking about like, you know, just federal issues, big issues, the, you know, we're coming out against the war on drugs, things like that. And uh, we set up all these little town halls across the state and we go into the, you know, central Pennsylvania and all they wanted to talk about was getting broadband access. It's like, Oh, it's brutal. And you don't have it. Um, I've been fortunate, but, uh, I have family members who are still uh, stuck in the nineties when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I think there's some solutions, hopefully, coming out there with satellites and different things. I know that Elon Musk is working on something, so we'll, we'll see. Well, and maybe 5G mm-hmm. would, could have an impact if your phone is – but I don't know if they'll be able to get it out there, yeah. 5G. Before we uh, you know, leave the book and, and talk, about, uh, talk about some other things, I, I do want to ask you this. So when you look back on the book, is there anything that – you know, when you set out to write this, is there anything throughout the course of writing it that – sort of surprised you, you know, from looking back on your past growing up in Nebraska that you were like, yeah, oh, I didn't realize it was like that. that. That I didn't realize like Nebraska was like that or. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I guess uh, on immigration, I was kind of surprised how um, more progressive Nebraska politicians were uh, in the eighties and very early nineties. I, I, I was, by the time I became in high school, they were very um, opposed to um, illegal immigration and, and um, wanting to put on like strict measures that I just kind of assumed for many years. Like that's just kind of how it's always been in Nebraska. And I didn't realize that was a change. And that's on the left. And, You're saying on the left and the right wanted to control immigration or was that just. Well, uh, right? it was basically anyone. So, so um, what I'm saying is that since like, 2006 when i was in high school the people nebraska has elected have been like to the right on immigration like very far to the right and i didn't realize i always thought that was just kind of how they always were i didn't realize that was a change Mm -hmm. like before um even the republicans wanted to um reform immigration to make it easier for people to obtain uh, a pathway to residency because they wanted the the agribusiness labor. You know, it was more of a right. business decision than like a humanitarian. And um, that that surprised me a little bit talking to some of these Nebraska politicians and seeing how um, within that party they've changed. I, I would say Democrats have changed as well. We just don't have many of them, so that's why I'm not talking about them as much <laughs> on that issue. Yeah, immigration is an interesting one because things have kind of flipped. But when like you really dig in to look at immigration, and this is also true with libertarians, uh, people use buzzwords or phrases like open borders or uh, you know close it down, put a fence up. But nobody really means what they're saying. Um, everybody understands immigration is going to happen. And um, 
they want it to happen in a safe way. There, there's no Democrats who are saying, yes, just, just let everyone in and yeah. they walk in, they're automatically a citizen. And nobody's, <laughs> nobody wants that. So it's kind of a, kind of a false debate that happens around immigration, much like uh, a lot of these things in our country that, that aren't real. Um, so where can people buy the book? Where can they, you know, learn more about you and, uh, and find your writings? Oh, sure. Um, well, you can reach me at rossbenish.com. Um, and you can get my book on any website that sells books. The, the university press of Kansas is the publisher. So you can get it straight from them or, um, your local bookshop if they have a website or, uh, you can go to Amazon if you, uh, are comfortable supporting, a all-powerful company. Hey, you know, so you, you got to get your stuff from somewhere and they deliver hey, it's it in convenient, two days. You know, so it's, it's tough not to. Two-click ordering is convenient. Yeah. But I'm skeptical of Jeff Bezos's uh, ambitions for the world. <laughs> well, I think, I think you have to be. When someone, get that, someone gets that much money, you have to be skeptical of everything they're doing because the amount of power yep. they have. Exactly. So any plans to uh, to write more books in the future? Uh, what are you looking at anything? Yeah. Got your eyes on well, anything? So I definitely uh, will write more in the future. I don't know if I'm going to continue writing about politics necessarily. Maybe it'll creep in in some things I write, but I, I want to get back to that pro wrestling book at some point because Ooh. that would be fun. You know, writing about state politics isn't always enjoyable, but um, like music and wrestling and stuff mm. like that you know it's, it's more enjoyable and and i want to do something that's like you know just more fun and kitschy yeah my uh my colleague here at lines of liberty mark claire would be very interested in that book so if you write it you can come back on and talk about all right uh, i'll be back on in a pro wrestling but yeah that's um yeah right writing a book like that is a lot more fun i know writing a book is a ton of work i haven't written one yet but someday i, I would like to can you just real quickly just talk about your book writing process, is it something that comes naturally to you? Is it difficult? Is, does it, did it take you a long time? Did you write it in a week? What, what, what does that process look like for I, you? I wish I could write it in a week, but that, that wasn't um, – it, it is tough. And, and it's tough to know um, how to pitch these things in a way that a publisher will take it. Mm -hmm. I mean, putting together the book proposal alone is, is difficult. And then, you know, you read – dozens and dozens of books and, and hundreds, if not thousands of articles, and you do many interviews and transcribe them. And then you just have a ton of information and synthesizing it and outlining it is so challenging. I, I think with this book, the, the biggest frustration I had, and I went back and forth on this in months, was knowing how much memoir to include and how much like um, reporting mm -hmm. or data analysis to include. Cause I, you know, I blend several genres. I'm telling stories about my life and then I straight in go into interviews with like a governor and then I, you know, cite a bunch of research and it's tough to get that, that balance right so that it doesn't feel too awkward or that it doesn't feel like it's, you know, just a memoir about me or it's just a, you know, reporting like you would see in a newspaper. So trying to strike that balance in a coherent way from chapter to chapter, um, was difficult and I'm not sure if I even struck it correctly. So, um, I wish it was easy for me, but, um, it, it's tough. Um, I, I don't take, some people take like a decade to write a book. So I guess I have it better than others. Um, at some point after enough agonizing, I just got to get it out. 
Yeah, you've written three books, and you're you're a young guy. I assume you're a young guy. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, but I, I'm um, thirty-one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe thirty-two for 31. soon here. Younger than me. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Ross. And, um, you know, I want to encourage people to go and buy the book, go to Amazon, go to, to your local bookstore, go go wherever you can find it. And um, check out Ross's website. Do you have social media? You on Twitter? Yep, yep. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and um, LinkedIn. Um, I, I, I share stuff about the book more frequently on Twitter, just at Ross Benish. Okay, cool. So check it out there. And uh, Ross, thanks for coming on Finding Freedom. Oh, hey, thanks for having me on the program, John. Hey, friends, what is happening? Just a quick note. I want to talk to you about another great podcast, one that I listen to all the time. It's called Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our good friends, Nate and Charlie. These are two guys that, uh, I'll tell you what, they do a great job of sorting through the news and pulling out the most important stuff. They're Two guys that they actually work together, and they have a, a healthcare IT consulting company. So really cool, interesting background for a lot of the things that we're going through today with the pandemic and everything else. But also importantly, I think that they really bring a great way of taking uh, complicated ideas and condensing them down so you can easily communicate them to your friends and persuade them to uh, you know actually agree with you. On some topics. So, I really want to encourage you if you haven't done this yet, go give Good Morning Liberty a listen. Check out Nate and Charlie and uh, tell them that I sent you to listen to Good Morning Liberty. Check it out. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully, you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest-running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash Liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's of liberty burning.